Hello, and welcome to another episode of sasslife.fm. Hey, Sam. Hey, Chris. How you doing? I am doing well. Doing well on this Friday. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I can't believe it's March already. I mean, this year is flying. Yeah. Q1 <laughs> is almost over, it feels like. Crazy to me. But yeah, things are good. You know, spring is here. I we're, we're getting up into the mid fifties, and so it's nice to be out. And you know, what would be a we wouldn't have a SAS Life podcast if it wasn't for talking about the weather. You know, so that's what we're going to do <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> it seems like what we fall back on, but you know, it's a big deal on our parts. So, but the funny thing is, even though the weather's going up or the temps going up, I still have a big old block of ice in my backyard. That that skating rink is slowly melting away, but it's still there. <laughs> That's right. How long do you think that'll last? I'm giving it a few more weeks. It's it's still pretty thick back there. And some of the it's funny because some of the neighborhood kids have found it. And so they'll come back and we'll randomly see them sliding across it. <laughs> I mean, the, the quality is terrible. It's melting ice, but it's like they still have some fun on it. So, yeah, we'll see how long it lasts. But I, I'm giving it a week or two. Nice. Some people bet on March Madness. Other people <laughs> right. watch ice melt and try to predict when that's going to be gone. Things are very exciting around here. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny talking about the weather here. It's been 60 degrees the past few days. It's actually going to get cold again, but at this point, I'm ready for spring. It's been 60. The snow, even up in the mountains, is crap. The avalanche forecast has not been favorable because when the snow starts to melt, it is not as cohesive. So, likes to slide. So skiing's starting to go, but you know, that's kind of the way winter is in the mountains. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. We end up calling it mud season as opposed to spring. So Yep. Well good. Well good. Yeah, and other news just before the podcast gave notice to vacate our current downtown I say our my current downtown office. You know, I've been I did this kind of year long experiment of working outside of the house, which really meant me working inside of the house still. You know, I, I was coming in once or twice a week. So Okay. It's been a year already? Because I remember when you talked about signing that and I can't believe it's been a year already. That's crazy. Yeah, it's technically been sixty days short of a year. So I've oh, got, sure. I've got sixty days that I have to give notice. So still it's yeah, it flew by and I've got to get back. I've got a couple improvements I want to make to my home office. So I gotta get on that, turn it into a construction zone for a month or so before I'm in it full time, just in time for the kids to be out of school. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's It's, interesting because I've been, I've been thinking about finding something outside of the house as well. And it'd be interesting to see if, if I experiment with that and if it goes the same way where it's, I mean, there's a convenience to just coming downstairs and getting to work and you don't have a commute and you don't have to go anywhere. The flip side of that is, you know, especially with the kids at home, you know, it's, constant potential distractions that are that are there and so getting away from the from that to to have a little bit more focus time is appealing but does it realistically happen (laughs) that's the big question my advice would be to not sign a year-long lease i mean this was a definitive experiment for me i definitely prefer working from home even with the distraction that said there were days when it was fantastic to work in the office and and i do enjoy it but it was it was definitively not worth the $17.50 $17.50 a month that I, I pay for it. I would do an experiment for maybe a month, even if it was a co-working space. You know, you can sometimes get private offices there. Yep. 
Well, you know, I mean, frankly, at this point, I'd be happy just to sit down and to a coffee shop and <laughs> just a little bit of a change of scenery, especially if I'm doing some lighter work and yeah, changed up a little bit. So we're, we're uh, signs are hopeful. We're hoping that we can kind of get out there and get back to the kind of quote unquote normalcy. So we'll, we'll see how that goes in a few weeks. Well, if you're not quite ready, I've got an awesome sublet for you. Two months. The, the commute is probably a little rough, but yeah, what is that? A t- twenty hour drive, something like that. <laughs> uh, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's talk. We'll talk. Yeah. So other than that, yeah, business update on my end. Been working really hard on this new big commerce integration. So that's one of the strategic things that I want to do is kind of get deeper integrated with some existing e-commerce platforms. And big commerce is one that we've identified as the next one. And that's coming together a little bit faster than I expected it to be. So that's that's some positive, positive really good week on that. The thing about it though is, you know, with, with all these integrations, it seems like the last 20% is always the toughest because that's when the curveballs kind of come in. And so we'll, we'll see how it goes, but so far so good. And I'm, I'm pretty happy with the progress. Don't have a specific launch date yet at this point because we're going to go through the, their app store application. So I have no idea how long that takes and what that process looks like, but that's ultimately the goal is we would love to be in a new distribution channel within their app store and, and see where that goes. So that's pretty exciting stuff. Is there an opportunity to beta test it with actual customers prior to being in the app store? Or do you really have to make sure all your edge cases are are cleared up and you're good to go? That's one of the things that's not terribly clear. Like I I have a development store, so I can do testing myself with a quote unquote live store, but that's me testing, you know, so that's more, I consider that kind of development work. I don't know. I need to ask about that. I don't know if they have like some sort of unlisted step for their app store. And the thing about big commerce, especially when you compare it to something like Shopify, that's put a lot of energy into their app store. You can tell that these guys, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's an afterthought, but it's still a young concept for, for them, that, that, that app store ecosystem. It's little things like when you go to submit your app, there's actually a fee in order to submit the app in order to get approved and go through that. It's just kind of like, Oh, yeah. And it's, it's little things like that where you're just kind of like, that doesn't feel great. How much is the fee? I think it was a couple hundred dollars. You know, it's, it's a hundred. I mean, so it's not out of reach, but it just, it seems like, Hey, you, you want developers on this platform, right? And so I don't know if that's what they use to kind of weed out and make sure quality apps are coming in. I assume that's why it is, but it just seems odd at least to begin with. But, but in, in, to be fair, I haven't really talked to anyone on the partnership team directly. I've just been working with the, their app documentation or the API documentation. So I think I need to, as I get closer to kind of finishing out my, I guess, draft reach out to them and just see really what's what the process is like and get some more information. So still kind of flying under the radar, I guess, at this point. Do you have a target date for that at all, for the actual just reaching out saying, hey, it's done on my side? Yeah, I would love, I lo- I would love to start the submission process. Again, this is dependent on development time, but I mean, this is, this is one of my big goals for March, you know, so we're, we're, you know, very early March right now. If I could get at least a I'm not expecting to be fully listed by the end of March, but I'd love to get that process started. So that's that's the big goal for this month. And frankly, the big goal for for this block of progress. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Keep it up. Yeah. I will. And so one of the other things that that's coming to fruition right now is I have actually 
hired a contractor that's going to help me out with my marketing. Okay. We, we kind of chatted a little bit last time about you trying this out and thinking about going down the road, but you've now made a hire officially. Yes. So I've used a service called marketer hire. And the way that you can think of them is they're basically a, I want to say a high end Upwork specifically tailored to them that are freelancing. And so the idea is it's not like you go to their uh, listing service where you see all of the freelancers that are on their network like you do with Upwork, but basically you just go and you talk to marketer hire and they handle the recruitment process for you. So it's very concierge type type service in that sense, where basically I had a chat with someone on the marketing hire team, just said, here's what I'm looking for. And honestly, what I'm looking for right now is someone to really come in and put together a plan, You know, help me with a go-to-market strategy, see what we have right now with our current content, our current assets, our current positioning, see if there's things that can be improved upon, if there's obvious missing holes in the messaging that we have, and really put together a, here's here's some of the things that we're going to try. And so I'm looking at what they call a growth marketer. They also call it like a, a chief marketing officer light, you know, so someone that's kind of more of a jack of all trades in the sense. So they have experience with pay-per-click marketing. They might have experience with content marketing. They're not necessarily experts in any one of those categories, but they know enough, broadly speaking, that they can put together like a high-level strategy and even a budget and say, hey, I'd love to be able to put together this type of campaign. In order to do that, we need X, Y, and Z, whether it's new you know, graphic design assets, whether it's new content assets, and then we can go out and find the person that can actually execute on that, that vision. So really it's more of, you know, take a, taking a, I don't know, take a look at what we have and <laughs> figure out where we should go type of thing. Well, so, okay. So, so let's dig into that a little bit further. I mean, it, it sounds exciting. I'm curious though, what your requirements exactly were, because you're in a pretty specific vertical with e-commerce, right? And even non-Shopify e-commerce at the moment. So you've got that vertical, and then you also have your early stage. I mean, you're looking for go-to-market strategy for somebody that has really not done any marketing. Were experience in those two worlds critical to you, or were you willing to let things slide a little bit? Less so in the e-commerce space specifically, but I definitely wanted someone that has B2B SaaS experience in marketing for a company, company like ours. So that was definitely a must, as well as, like you mentioned, the early stage. And so someone being comfortable with either not a well-defined marketing plan already and helping to put that together, but also being comfortable with, frankly, smaller budgets. You know, it's not like they're coming into something that has a really established marketing budget. And this is a nice segue into our topic for the day, which is budgeting in general. That's what I'm really hoping to to get an idea from him, the the new growth marketer is let's establish, let's figure out a, a marketing budget together, you know? And so you can give me some insights into what kind of, I mean, we're going to run some experiments as far as click ads go, but it's like, what kind of budget is really needed to do those things effectively? You know, and if, especially if we're looking at different channels like LinkedIn, other social media things, how much is really needed to to make an impact? Because if you don't do enough, you're just throwing money away. And so it's kind of figuring out what what that marketing mix would look like. And so I actually meet with him this afternoon. I'm really excited to kind of come up, see what he's come up with. We've, we've actually had a couple of talks and right now he's kind of putting together that, 
high level overview of honestly a good, better, best type of thing. Like here are your different budget ranges. Here's how much time he would need to execute this. So I have an idea of how much I'm going to be spending on, on his time in addition to the actual advertising aspect. So you're really approaching it with him as a partnership in terms of budget and and time. I mean, it's not a, I can allocate this, go. It's tell me, given your expertise, what you think it's going to take. Yeah, I think it's going to start with, give me your assessment. And then depending on how, how many times my heart skips when he tells me the numbers, we'll, we'll go from there. <laughs> so... I honestly don't know. And so we'll see what, what his different assessments are, kind of prepare for, for what that, what that means. And so I think I'll have more, more understanding of what that means and be able to really kind of figure out what the actual strategy is based upon the, the budget parameters that he's provided. Did you give any kind of guidelines or could we be off by, or could he be off by an order of magnitude here? I mean, I'm just picturing, you know, of course, a, a new E. Sure. It would be easy to get into the seven figures. Yeah. So we, we didn't talk actual numbers, but he is very aware of kind of where my company stands, you know? And so as far as it's very early days, you know, it's more of running. And the thing that I liked about, about him is he's like, one of the things that he said is even if you had a set budget set aside and just for argument's sake, you know, let's say you had 50 K in ad budget, you know, set aside, he's like, I'm not going to spend that right away. Well, I would much rather do smaller experiments that are big enough to be to get some real world data on. And the whole goal that I told him is let's find that one channel, you know, so let's do some small experiments in different channels in different areas until we see something that really has traction. And then we can figure out how to hit that channel hard with more resources. And so that's kind of the goal right now. But he's he's actually been a marketer for a couple of companies that are have been as young as text retailer is. He was actually brought in as a co-founder once to be the marketing individual, the marketing partner. So he's gone through the startup process multiple times. He actually likes that environment. So all of those things kind of check the box that he's used to this kind of environment. So I, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be an interesting conversation later today to see where we go. Yeah. I can't wait to learn more about it. It sounds really cool, really promising. So fingers crossed for you. Yeah. And if nothing else, he'll, he'll get my analytics set up. So I know what the hell's going on because I don't think I've done it right. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, speaking of yeah, analytics, numbers, budgeting, all of those, maybe I should jump into a couple high level updates in my world. And yeah, then I, I really want to talk about budgeting because we're both kind of working through that. So I guess the first thing here, we built another product accidentally. Yeah. <laughs> They're just falling out of the trees over there. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So what's this one do? So this one is called the pie slice. Okay. And the reason it's called the pie slice is because we have an, another product called the pipe tech pie and the pie is P I I and it stands for pipe tech inspection interface. Oh, okay. So we're not so, talking about blueberry or <laughs> peach cobbler or anything like that. <laughs> No, no, no. Oh. We're talking about sewers still. Okay. Uh, <laughs> not, not nearly as appetizing. No, no, it's not. Anyway, so the, the, the inspection interface basically sits between all the robotics that are going through the pipe and the software side of things. There's a bunch of different data that comes back. There's video data. There's footage, you know, so you know how far into the pipe you are. And a lot of times there's other telemetry data. 
And so the original product took in all of that data and it also wrote what you can almost think of as closed captioning on top of the video. It's often a requirement that these videos, any incident that's logged, any information that comes up at the beginning about which pipe is being inspected is written onto the video in case the video ever gets separated from its data. So it's kind of a, a longstanding and, and frankly, fairly smart requirement in our world. So this original product did all that. But sometimes we've got customers who actually don't need quite that much. And the reason is because newer versions of our software are able to produce the overlay data themselves. So we're doing it in software instead of hardware which as an aside gives a much cleaner picture. There's a lot of advantages to that. Allows for editing later. So if you, you, know, you can think of it, if you're observing things in a pipe and you're writing onto the screen and essentially burning it into the video in real time, if you go back and edit those observations, the video is not changing without a heck of a lot of work, right? Because it's, it's burned on there. It's, it's real time. With a newer version of the software that's able to produce that overlay in software as opposed to in hardware, we're able to actually edit that after the fact during the QA as well prior to producing the deliverable that's what actually writes the overlay onto the video to meet the requirement. I got you. So, so if the hardware is in charge of it, it's literally part of the video itself and there's not much you can do to change that. It's just, it's like the old, I kind of vision out the like the old VCR timestamp in the upper right hand corner with the when you were you know back in the day when when, when we used the the handheld camcorders and it would actually that's part of the video you can't get rid of it it's it's on the actual video itself whereas what you're talking about is the software it's it's separate it's a completely separate channel but you can get the same effect without having to uh actually add it directly to the video itself that's right exactly and so you know with the original pi which we did not design but produce now, it wrote the overlay onto the video and, and it, did, it does a bunch of other things. I mean, it allows some of these robots have multiple videos coming back. Some of them, you know, have that inclination data or pressure data if they're repairing a pipe. So there are a lot of things that this device can do and there's, it's still very valuable for a lot of customers. But we kept seeing this other slice of the market <laughs> that didn't need all of those features. What they really needed was simply to know where in the pipe they are. So basically just footage. So as we saw more and more need for this, and what kind of pushed it over the edge was two things. One, a customer who really wanted a, a simplified interface to use in kind of a more portable, rugged environment. They were going out using like a, a four by four you know, vehicle, to like an ATV really, to inspect these kind of far out things. So they wanted something simpler something that was hardier, would be resistant to rain or other things. That was kind of the customer need side. And then on the other hand, I happened to be talking to a mechanical and electrical engineer who I worked with extensively on the robotic side of things. He had some free time. So I said, okay, let's jump in. Let's do kind of a sprint on this and see if we can design a, a prototype. And with a little input from other people in the industry, we, we got it built and designed. And we're just waiting for kind of the final production to come back for these pro prototype units so we can test them and see if they work. So I'm, I'm interested about this because it seems like, because remind me, what, what was the last other product that you did that you talked about 
Yeah, it was a utility product called Sync. And so its job is marshalling the data back and forth between PipeTech Hub. So we've got to get used to calling it PipeTech Hub, not PipeTech right, Project, right, right. And, uh, and the field vehicles. So I'm curious because that seems like it's a very specific use case that doesn't really have much utility outside of that environment, which I, I get the sense with, with PySlice, it's kind of a very similar thing. It's a very niche product that it doesn't do a lot, but what it does, it does very, very well. Do you see opportunity to kind of have these little, whether you call them widgets or add-ons or little products that customers can kind of pick and choose? Basically, it's unbundling the entire concept and going more, going away from like the monolith aspect of like this software does everything you could possibly want it to do, where, you know, that's great for the three customers that that applies to. But like you were saying, most of your customers, they probably only need 20, 40, 60% of your features, and they want to be able to pick and choose what those are. And so to have smaller pieces of that entire concept that they can pick and choose seems like an interesting direction to go. Boy, yeah, I want to be very careful about that because I don't want to end up with too many SKUs. You know, I don't want to end up maintaining everything that goes along with all these different permutations or separate products. And I also want to be very careful to not confuse the customer. You know, one of the things I think that we do really well and that I would like to continue doing is we're, we're opinionated as to how best to help the customer achieve the things that they're trying to do. So in other words, you know, customer A and customer B might approach things differently. They might only need a certain part of what we can offer. That's fine. We want to tailor that to them and say, okay, great. You know, we're going to put it together for you in this particular way. What we don't want to do is say to the customer, hey, you can do it any way you want. You know, have at it. Here's a menu of options and you just check the ones you want and let us know. I mean, that's really not the place we're playing. We're much more consultative and and trying to understand exactly their needs. So I guess all that is to say, yeah, I think it's a necessity that we do some of the unbundling, but I definitely don't want to take it too far. I still want to maintain a recommended or best solution for a customer based on our understanding of of their business. And I want to make sure we don't end up maintaining a thousand half-baked SKUs as opposed to a couple really... <laughs> I just made another pie joke, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, as opposed to some really core products that that yeah. put together in uh, manageable ways. Yeah. So when does the Pipe Tech App Store launch? <laughs> <laughs> Never. Never. Uh, you know, so that, that leads us actually it is really funny you say that. I get a first time ever request. So this leads us right into the wet show, which I'm I'm coming off of. Went really well. Man, it is it is drinking from a fire hose. I am so worn out at the end of these things especially this one because you're nine to five, just constant demos and then events afterwards. So worn out, but energized, had so many great conversations. And for the first time ever, someone actually asked if they could write a plugin for our app. They wanted to do something really specific. They wanted to project a laser out basically ahead of the camera and then do some image processing on the back end. So you can picture a ring you know, a circular ring being projected out 
So you see this little red ring in front of the camera moving as the camera does. And they wanted to process that those images in real time or sampling frames so that they could look at the deformation of the pipe based on how the ring is deforming. Pretty cool. But what was really unique is, do you have any kind of plug-in setup? You know, <laughs> no, well, uh, we, it, we don't, but it's cool. And, and not only that, but I mean, just, just what you described, it's not just a piece of software that they're hooking into your, I mean, they're, they're talking about adding hardware on top of things as well or or does that laser concept i mean it just it just seems like it's really complicated to do something like that in our world laser measurement has been a thing and we've actually shied away from integrating it too far because a lot of times it's not very accurate it has to be calibrated really precisely so that's been a thing but no in this case there is a hardware component but they they had already kind of solved that they already used this hardware So they were already projecting the ring. What they really wanted to do was the software side of using the image data. You know, so picture sampling the video. You've got a screenshot that shows a red circle in a pipe, and you could then basically run some algorithms on it. You know, at least fit like different things to to determine whether how perfect the circle was or how deformed, more importantly, the circle was. So it really was a pure software solution they were asking for. But I just thought it was kind of funny that. They were prepared to develop it themselves if we had some kind of plug-in architecture that would work for that. Is that something down the line that you anticipate potentially exploring? Because, I mean, you really are positioning this to become a platform, you know, with not only your internal products, but just in general, just a, a really nice base. And there's, I wouldn't be surprised if you get more requests is what I'm getting at. It is a really interesting idea particularly as engineering firms get more and more advanced with their internal capabilities. We're not there yet because there's a ton of overhead in building out a true plug-in architecture. So I don't see it happening soon, but I, I also wouldn't rule it out. We'll, we'll see. It's definitely something to consider the pros and cons of, you know, because like what you were talking about is, you're being very opinionated, which I think is a great positioning to be, but that is probably going to limit yourself to what you can build out feature set wise, just to what you have on your team. And so being able to do some sort of plug-in concept basically allows you to expand the functionality of your software without having, there's still work, you know, as maintaining that and and having some sort of plug-in program, but it's not nearly as much as like, you're going to try to do those dozen or so different features yourself and then you get into there's there's a lot of talk right now uh, about ecosystems in general when you when you talk about the apple app store and the shopify ecosystem and that relationship between platforms and developers and customers the merchants and what that what that all means and how to make that be a healthy ecosystem and so there's there's a lot of challenges there but it does from your perspective as the platform can offer a lot of benefits if that's the direction you want to go. It's interesting. We're going to be faced with it more and more as we try to build out some of the integrations that we're working on right now. There's a couple I I can't talk about yet, but that we're actively pursuing and working on. But I guess I can't help but feel like we're the ones pursuing these integrations with bigger software ventures, you know? And so 
if we put all this effort into developing our own ecosystem? Are we yeah. really the the core of that, or are we more of a peripheral? You know, and point. I yeah. I don't know yet. So I always try to be very aware that our TAM is small. I mean, it's it's growing and it's very niche, and I think that there's a ton of opportunity there, but we're not Apple, that's for sure. You know, right, we're not right, Shopify. Right. I mean, we are never going to be a fraction of a fraction of that world. So what we build is kind of important to scope carefully. Yeah. And, and because one of the most dangerous things that you can do is lack of focus at this point. And if you get distracted on something that's cool, but doesn't really move the needle that much, that's something you definitely want to avoid. Even though it, it, it's a tough place to be because I, I know you're, you're a big fan of customer support and customer service and making your customers as successful as possible. And so when someone approaches you with this, this new idea that you're not personally going to put resources into, but it's still like, oh, I can see the benefit for my customers. I'm the same way. The wheels start turning. How can we make this a reality without having to you know, lose our focus? And sometimes it's just yeah, without it's not diluting. possible. Exactly. That's right. And sometimes it just doesn't sometimes work out. Sometimes the best answer is no, not right absolutely. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, that's cool, cool though. Well, yeah. yeah. It was neat. And there was, it was really fun. Uh, there were quite a few other conversations that came out of the show that were great ideas. You know, when you're just talking to that many people with their own specific needs, it was really reassuring to see how well our solution fit for people and how excited a lot of people got about it. And it was equally exciting to hear the ideas that came from the potential customers that were simple. I mean, you know, let me give you one just silly example, but it's like, cool, we're not that far off. We could do that. And it's a good idea that'll help a lot of people. In their particular workflow, they couldn't use something like the Sync app to plan work ahead of time because they basically just go into an area and they're doing a lot of rehabilitation work. So they don't know exactly what they'll be inspecting at any given time. That said, their work is all very project-based and tied to a specific project, and they process huge volumes of data that they need to deal with. So what they really needed and asked for is, hey, we want to come into this process at a different point, not planning it in the office, but starting in the field and then uploading the data, which we fully support now anyway. But the kicker was automatically organizing the data into projects because it already, you know, it's naturally in a project, but not in our concept of a project, right? Right. According to various data points that we're gathering, you know, so a field that exists in these templates that we've kind of talked about here and there is called work order, for example. So maybe they want a key on work order and say, okay, Anything that comes in with work order one, two, three automatically comes into this project. Anything that goes into that has work order four, five, six goes into that project. And that gives them the ability to not have to wade through all the data themselves. It gives them visibility with all the metrics we offer on project tracking. You know, so how many linear feet have you inspected? Things like that that are they loved. Putting building deliverables on a per project basis partial deliveries to all of these things that we already did. They just couldn't take advantage of the fact that we currently require projects to be set up ahead of time. They wanted it to be 
well, the project, I guess, would still be head up, but the data itself would flow in. So it was that's just one example of a, a couple different conversations like that that came up that said, okay, you know, we support 95% of what you want to do here. That other 5%, great idea. Like that's wouldn't be too hard to implement. Other customers could benefit from it. Let's put it on the roadmap. And it was really fun to have a bunch of those conversations. Yeah, it's it's so great to have that direct connection with, current customers and potential customers. And, and, and remind me for a lot of these individuals, these potential customers, this was the first time seeing the new platform, right. Or being introduced to this. Yeah. I mean, remember we're not officially starting marketing until, uh, until next, uh, next month already, I guess, (laughs) but until Q2. So yeah, they had not seen it yet at all. Yeah. So that, that initial impressions, I'm sure they're the light bulbs going off above their heads and then they're giving you feedback. And it's such a great, like you said, going from the fire hose and it's just such great feedback at this stage to get and really help you develop that roadmap over the next uh, coming months. So that's, that's fantastic to hear. It's super exciting, but now I do feel like everything is kind of spinning. I mean, you know, we're talking about <laughs> trying to gear up marketing next month. I've got all these product needs, all the integrations that we're working on and some things there. I used to be really good about trying to prioritize all these projects. You know, it was just a simple spreadsheet, but I would prioritize them and make sure that I was allocating proper resources. I had a bit of a financial model that I was using, you know, again, Excel based, well, Google Sheets based. (laughs) And at the moment, I feel like all of that is a mess. So I definitely feel a strong need to get to get organized again and make sure that we're focused on the right priorities. And I think the way to start with that is probably budgeting. Yep. Yep. Well, and it's and kind of what you're saying. It, it's tough when you have all of those ideas floating through your head and all those suggestions. And it can, it's very easy for it to, to come back and all this is needs to be done yesterday <laughs> and get overwhelmed by that. And so, yeah, so let's, let's chat about the planning process and budgeting. I know I've been doing a little bit my, myself, we were both talking about some of the new tools that we're looking at. One is I'm really excited about the potential. I've been using it for a couple of months now, by no means an expert, but Summit has been something that I've loved playing around with because I forget what their positioning is, but they're, it's something like a, a whiteboard with math or something like that. But it's, and the basic idea is it's, I, I view it as it's Excel on steroids and you can take these models and build them out in a visual way and just kind of tweak them and add new pieces to them and rerun the program. And they're basically, that's basically what it is. It's a, it's its own programming language, but it's in a very pleasant, really nice user interface and you get the results. And so it's just, it's, it's a really neat thing to, to experiment with. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into it more. What do the results look like? I mean, is this like a spreadsheet or is it more like graphs? What, what do you, what's the output? The way that I've been using it, it, it basically comes out as an Excel results. And so instead of having to go into the Excel cells and put in your formula and kind of build out your own model behind the scenes, it gives you kind of more of a visual builder where you can drag and drop different aspects and these calculations run and they can run into buckets that then can perform more manipulations on it. And the end result is you get this nice spreadsheet that's generated that essentially just pushes out a budget, you know, for the next 12 months or 18 months or however long you want it to be with all these different categories. And you can make some small tweaks. The, th- the feature that I really like, and it's, it's 
small, but it's like you can almost put in guesstimates. And so you can you can have things like with the SaaS model, you could say, all right, I'm going to start with my you know, 50 customers that I have, and that's worth X amount of dollars, but I'm going to anticipate a growth rate of, you know, approximately 2%. And it just kind of approximates that over the coming months and it just propagates out through the model. And so instead of having to hard code that in, in Excel, you just kind of give it some parameters and it just runs the program. Is the point of the guesstimate so that you, it's a little bit scenario-like, not a full scenario, obviously, but you're saying, okay, it's going to be approximately 2%. You don't want to run right on the wire, obviously, of if it's not exactly 2%, then everything falls apart. Is that the main point or am I missing something? Yeah, I just I just like that it's not, it's not, I mean, the, 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 very rarely do you have a growth that it's like, I'm going to grow at $500 a month every single month. You know, it's just, you very rarely have that exact growing point. So I think just adding some variability into the the equation, it just, I, I don't know. It makes me feel a little bit nicer <laughs> that that's it's a little bit more accurate in that sense, or it gives you more of a range of what that could look like. I guess. I, I don't I know. Guess I my business think... runs differently. I mean, I yeah. just I hit those numbers month <laughs> after month. Whatever I write in the spreadsheet is what happens. <laughs> and then in April, you have win lottery, and it's all taken <laughs> care of. You know, so yeah, I didn't see that button in Summit yet. So okay. I have played with Summit a little bit. There's a bit of a learning curve and there I is. haven't, uh, this is not on Summit at all. It's just, it's any new software, right? It's the whole onboarding problem, I guess. I haven't put in the time to to learn it, but I'm super intrigued. I've been using a um, now out of date, out of date for me because I haven't updated it, Google Sheets model from Tyler Davidson. It's a, um, it's a general SaaS model and he just built it all out. He's got a company called Foresight that, it's cool. It, it's nice. It was a great foundation for me, and I've, I've been using it now for a while. But I've been starting to look at other tools. I've, I've always been summit curious, especially now that you're using it. I'm, I'm even more so. And then I've, there's two others that I've kind of been poking at that I'm less inclined to use, I think. But they, they do look, they almost look like they fit in the middle of summit and a pure Excel model. And those are a, a company called Finmark and a company called Forecaster. I've just been looking at their website. They're kind of enterprise I mean, Finmark is, you know, hey, here's how to see a demo. And they're also, their pricing is based on your current monthly revenue, which, fine, I get that, but it, I don't like it. It doesn't resonate with me. Well, and that seems like you're locked into purely about like forecasting, which the thing that I like about Summit is it's basically Excel. So if you if you, if you wanted it to budget your personal stuff or, and it doesn't even have to be a budgeting. I mean, it's anything that you might want to put together as an Excel model, you can do that within Summit. You're not locked into, it has to be SaaS and it has to be about a business aspect. Yeah, that's also really cool. You know, learn the tool for what you're going to use it for initially, but then you might come up with a different use case and you can adapt the knowledge that you've already built for that specific tool to something else. I think that Finmark and Forecaster are both really designed toward forecasting and budgeting and a little bit more venture track focused, you know? So, hey, I, I want to prepare financials for, for my investors. So, I don't know. Neat stuff though. And it's definitely valuable. I mean, I, I personally end up going through, at least I have historically gone through these cycles of 
planning and then executing and then reconciling back to the plan and, and starting again. And so things start to kind of get chaotic and diverge from the models. And then it's, it's been really important for me to go back and, and build the models again, because it helps clarify my thinking and it helps point out any fundamentals or, or, you know, underlying drivers that maybe I've neglected. So I'm, I'm at the uncomfortable stage now, as it always seems to be before the reconciliation happens. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's, and that's kind of how I'm using it in the sense that I, it's still so early days with text retailer, especially when we're looking at what's the MRR growth and things like that, you know, because you add or subtract a handful of merchants in a single month and it just changes your percentages wildly. So it's just, it's so hard to predict the growth pattern that's going to be there right now because it's just so early days. And so I think it's important to recycle back. And that's the thing that I do like about some, and you can do this with Excel too, is just, you can change those inputs so quickly that I can run different scenarios and different examples and, and kind of going back to the marketing budget. That's exactly what I'm going to do is, okay, let's say I take the most expensive plan, the most aggressive plan with marketing. I need to figure out, I need to see what the results that we need to achieve in order to justify that spending. And a model like this really helps me not necessarily determine if that's the right answer, but it just kind of gives you a gut check of like, do I think this is plausible to, oh, I have to 5X my merchants in three months. That's not going to happen, you know? And so it's like, <laughs> it's it kind of gives you an, just a rough idea of like, how much can you really take on realistically from a, customer perspective, new inflow of customers, because then we run into the problem, like what happens if I have 20 merchants that are knocking my door in a single month, I have to be able to sit down and do those demos and onboard them. And there's a lot of, there's a time suck there that has to be accounted for. Or uh, that's a tipping point that means you're (laughs) going to hire someone. And then that feeds into the model on the expense side. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so it's just, it's putting real numbers in combination with that gut feeling to kind of get an idea of what is the next six months potentially going to look like and give you a range of like, okay, like you said, if, if we ramp up the marketing and it hits well, and this happens, how am I going to react to that? (laughs) Especially in May when I'm on paternity leave, what is that going to really look like? (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. Again, I mean, I think it helps really clarify your thinking. It forces you to be rigorous in what you're predicting and what you want to happen. So yeah, and and it goes, it's a feedback loop too, right? So just like you said, I mean, on the one hand, if this happens, what will it require? On the other hand, if I decide to spend X on marketing, what's required on the sales side to make that worthwhile? And when do I know that things might not be working and might require adjustment? You know, that's that's true in any business. I think it's even more true in our world of bootstrapping, right? I mean we're not dealing with venture size pools of money. No. no. And especially when it's your own money, there's some sting there when it goes out the door and you really want to make sure, and there's nothing guaranteed, but you want to give it the best chance that that money comes back in some way in the form of new customers. And so it's just really understanding what that looks like and kind of giving an expectation of, is that a plausible thing, you know? And so I'm, I'm excited to dive into it more. I'm excited to get some feedback and some budgets from the new marketing 
consultant and kind of see what they say and kind of plug it in and get a prediction for the next few weeks or a few months. Sounds good. You've inspired me. I mean, I've known that I need to do this for a while too. So yeah, I'll dive in over the next couple of weeks as well. And, and then maybe we nice. can compare. All right. So should we talk about stuff we're into? Oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> you, you go first. Sam. I'll go first. So it's, it's kind of a, I'll do a little bit of a cop out, but I, I am into companies that put together very well documented APIs. It's just really <laughs> nice when the documentation is there and it's clear and it's up to date and there's nice examples and it just makes my job easier when I try to integrate with that platform. So if you're, if you're going to throw out an API that's public, please document it well, and uh, it'll make the lives of those developers that want to integrate with your platform so much better. Well, you have again reminded me why we're not doing anything on the plugin <laughs> side or the platform side at the moment because we don't have the resources to do that. But uh, but I do agree with you; it is it is much better. Well, mine is completely different. Coming back from the wet show, walking through the airport, my rolling bag that I think my wife got from Costco twenty years ago or something developed a bit of a bit of a lopsided roll, <laughs> okay, a bit of a squeak. So. It's going to get a new new bag, but I don't know. You know that felt wrong. Everything else about the bag is great. Looked at the wheels; the axles are completely rusted out. The bearings are falling off, and so just on a whim, I figured Amazon probably sells replacement wheels. Sure, they do. So nice. ordered some replacement wheels. I might be a little premature. They come on Monday. Okay. Uh, I have already spent the better part of two hours wrestling to get the original wheels off so i I can't yet say whether or not this is (laughs) worth it but it makes me feel better that that bag is not in a landfill yeah no that's that i i just have visions of you out in your driveway just (laughs) testing out the new wheels once you get them on and be like oh this is nice (laughs) i don't even know if i'm going to let them touch the ground i'm just going to carry that bag until it can get to some carpet (laughs) (laughs) it's too nice to use can't use the wheels they're brand new (laughs) <laughs> that's right oh that's but great I, i'm excited and, and, and it, every single time i fix something or do something like that it, it just makes me feel feel a little better a little less waste so yeah if you've got a rumbly roller bag roller bag replacement wheels on amazon <laughs> you will you get hundreds of options no. <laughs> I can only imagine how long it took you to pick them and figure out. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that they fit nice and it's a pretty easy ordeal for you. And you can get back to traveling in style and comfort, I should say, in, in nice rolling fashion. Well, perhaps I'll give an update next week. after They come. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> we probably should end it there. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, as always, thank you everyone for listening. We really appreciate the time and, um, We'd love to take you on our journey as we build out our two companies. So we really appreciate it. Bye, guys. See ya.